Okay, as we start today, you can turn to uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. As we come before the Lord's table this morning, I want to emphasize an essential characteristic of the Lord Jesus that we as his people should also emulate. It's something that's really greatly lacking in the world, and sometimes it's lacking in God's people as well. The perfection of Christ that I'm speaking of is that of compassion. According to Webster's Dictionary, compassion is a sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. And although there are numerous uh, philanthropic enterprises aimed at alleviating distress in some specific areas, the world in general is not a very compassionate place. Think of the murder and crime rates in our cities. Think of all the wars and the rumors of wars going on in the world today. Think of the hatred between different ethnic groups. Think of the homeless and the truly needy. Think of the persecution of the church, and the list can go on and on and on. Individually, uh, we are consistently more conscious of our own distresses, our own needs and wants, and that of others. And we may feel sorry at a time for uh, someone that's going through some kind of difficulty, but do we really do anything to help them out, to alleviate them in those times? The Lord Jesus was perfectly marked by this quality of compassion, not so much in words as in deeds. And there were a few times when he said that he had compassion, and in those situations he alleviated the need that aroused his compassion. But there are many other incidents where his actions demonstrated compassion and mercy on others. And then, of course, his chief act of compassion toward us was when he died on the cross to save us from our sins. God's word teaches that we are to be holy like he is. We are to adopt the perfections of Christ that may be exhibited in our lives as believers. So as we are reminded today of the compassion of Christ displayed in so many ways, we need to ask the Lord to help us to be like him as we minister to others. Our Heavenly Father, we pray again your blessing on your word today. We're thankful, Lord, that the Lord Jesus was perfect in every way. And Lord, much of what he manifested can be um, given to the people who put their faith and trust in him, And they too can develop in holiness, even as he was holy. And Lord, this one area of compassion is an area where uh, we certainly can grow. And we pray, Lord, you help us as your people uh, to hear uh, what you have to say to us today as we look at the life of Christ and how he was a compassionate person. And he uh, is still so today. Bless us with your word, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. The first thing I want to do this morning is just kind of show you uh, the general compassion that Christ had upon the multitudes that he dealt with. But before we do that, let's just think about this term we find in the word of God. It can be translated in a number of ways as compassion or mercy. 
So let me just uh, briefly explain to you what these words are. There are three basic words in our Greek New Testament that are related to this concept. The first one is sympathes. That sounds a little bit like sympathy, doesn't it? Well, that's exactly what it means. Sympathes is, derive, is where we derive our English word sympathy from, and literally it means together with suffering or together with mis- misfortune. In other words, you feel uh, for another person. You have sen- sympathy upon them, perhaps what they're going through, uh, the difficulties that they might be experiencing. Another Greek word is elios, which we translate mercy, and we read that in our psalm earlier this morning in the Old Testament. We find it many times in the New Testament, and of course, we as God's people are to be merciful as God was merciful to us. And this word conveys the sense of pity one may feel for what another person is experiencing, but it goes beyond just that feeling sorry or sad for somebody to actually doing something to help them out in that situation. So it goes beyond just the sensibility that, well, they're going through a hard time and I feel bad for them. And there were times when Jesus was called upon to show mercy, and this also relates to the mercy that he showed us when he went to the uh, cross of Calvary. He knew we were sinful people and he did something about it. The last term sounds a little bit funny. It's called, in, in the Greek, it's splagnitsomai, splagnitsomai. And uh, this term occurs 12 times in the Gospels, nine of them referring to Christ's compassion, and he states this in some of these cases. In the other times where this is used, Jesus is using it in the parable of the Good Samaritan who showed compassion on someone you would not expect, another uh, a Jew, and the Samaritans and Jews didn't get along. So he's showing compassion in a way you wouldn't expect it. And then Jesus also uses this in two other parables, demonstrating God's compassion in saving or forgiving sinners. And as translated, compassion, Uh, in the King James, bowels of mercy, expressing this deep-seated emotion. It comes from way down inside. Sometimes you can actually uh, feel it in your gut, so to speak, and that's what the the word literally refers to, is your, your gut, your liver, your inner organs, and so the idea of how deeply that affects you. A few years ago, when I was visiting in India, uh, another pastor and I were with Brother Nair in the Tsunami Children's Home that we currently support. And as we were taking refreshments that day, uh, a girl came in and she began uh, speaking to Brother Nair and she was very distressed, very upset. We knew this. And this was a period of time in which that home uh, was... Uh, in danger of having to be closed. The government uh, said they needed to build a separate dormitory for the the boys. The money wasn't coming in for that, and uh, they were having trouble, so they may have had to close the school, or the home, rather. And as she's uh, uh, speaking, we, of course, don't know what's going on here, other than we could see she was very passionate. And then all of a sudden, she falls down before Brother Nair, and she's weeping, and she's... uh, Uh, continuing to speak to him, he finally turns to us and says she's upset because the home is going to, may have to close and she doesn't want that to happen. Well, 
after all that, he asked me to pray, but I couldn't. I was choked up. I was experiencing that compassion that just kind of wells up in you, and it really affects you way down deep. And this is the kind of thing the Lord's talking about, and this is what he felt toward the crowds when they came to him. So let's look at some uh, uh, passages here that bring this out. And one of them is found in Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 35. And this, this generally characterizes the Lord's ministry. In verse uh, 35, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So we know he had this great healing ministry, uh, uh, all kinds of sickness, illness, disease. When the people came, he healed them. And then verse 36 says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. So they come to him, he's moved with compassion because of their physical needs, and when you have serious physical needs, that can stress you emotionally, it can stress you mentally, and he's also concerned about their, their spiritual needs. So when people begin to be healed on this kind of a level, it, the word gets around, and wherever Jesus goes, he gathers these great crowds because people, first of all, want to be healed from these ailments, and then that provides a platform for which he can teach them. So when he saw these kind of needs, he was always welled up with passion. And as he saw them, it wasn't just for their physical needs or how these things may have been distressing them in other ways. He saw them with a deeper spiritual need. And that is brought out here in verse 36, as he sees them coming as weary, scattered, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he says, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers unto his harvest. So he's talking about people who need to be brought into his uh, sheep coat, so to speak, because of their uh, spiritual problems as well as the physical ones. So <clears throat> the word weary here doesn't mean tired out, but it means harassed or oppressed. Scattered means to be thrown about, suggesting a helpless condition that you really can't do anything about. And Jesus is talking here in spiritual terms. He's alluding to the result of the ineffective and poor spiritual leadership at that time in the nation because their leaders were not really teaching them the truth of God's word. Their, their leaders were legalistic. They were selfish. They were hypocritical. They weren't helping the people at all. They were just using them for their own ends. And Jesus saw these people as those who needed to be rescued from that lost and harmful condition. So he's looking not just upon you physically, mentally, emotionally, but also spiritually, because that is the deep-seated uh, need that people have to come to him and be saved. Now, as we think about this general ministry where he is compassionate upon people. There are two incidences where people were brought together, and he again demonstrates this, this feeling of compassion, and that's during the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. Now, we'll stick with Matthew and go to Matthew chapter 14, <clears throat> and here we have explained uh, 
uh, a miracle that we're, uh, most of us are quite familiar with, and that's the feeding of uh, the 5,000. In Matthew chapter 14 and verse 13, <clears throat> uh, we're told here that Jesus departed from there by boat to a deserted place. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities because they always want to go where Jesus is. When Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. And then after this, there's the feeding of the 5,000. But Matthew emphasizes the healing aspect of the ministry here. He had compassion on their need for situations of all kinds that required this uh, physical healing. Now, in Mark's account, uh, which we find in, in Mark chapter 6, uh, he emphasizes the teaching ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, similar to Matthew 9 that we just read, where uh, he again sees the people as sheep without a shepherd. So he's emphasizing the spiritual teaching before the healing. And as the stories go on in both situations here, Jesus secondarily shows compassion by feeding those who were present in a miraculous way. But his compassion is first raised by their need to be healed from physical ailments and also their need to be taught the word of God. Now, if we go to the next chapter in Matthew, we have another feeding. Some people think these are the same, but when you read them, the, uh, the, the circumstances are different. So this is a separate feeding. And incidentally, uh, this is 5,000 men. doesn't count women and children. 4,000 men, not counting women and children. So several more thousand people were actually present here. <clears throat> now, over in chapter 15, verse 32... Jesus is speaking to the disciples, and he says, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat, and I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Now, this is emphasizing the actual hunger need after being there three days. They're probably not near enough a town to get any supplies, so they might have brought some things with them, but by now those are uh, depleted, and they need to go home, but he's afraid if they go home without this nourishment, they're going to faint on the way. Mark brings that out. So uh, Jesus, again, is concerned with the physical need in this situation that uh, he doesn't want them to go home in a condition where uh, they can get sick or they might fail, and uh, uh, he wants to take care of that need. So in his overall ministry, all kinds of needs are presented to him. Some physical, uh, such as the hunger, or the suffering from a disease, or a sickness, or a disability. And these cause emotional distress in people uh, uh, when they go through these kind of things. So the whole person is involved here because Jesus is also concerned about their spiritual condition. So the whole man is uh, uh, what Jesus will minister to and show compassion upon whatever the need may be. Uh, so uh, uh, 
he wanted them to, to hear a proper exposition of the word of God. The healings would help them physically, but the teaching was even more important because that would lay a foundation for them to respond to him spiritually. And these drew out his compassion for people. Now, I want us to go to some more specific situations here where we see Jesus responding in compassion to people in different kinds of needs. And we're going to look at four examples this morning. First of all, let's go over to Mark's gospel, very first chapter. And of course, uh, we went through the whole gospel of Mark, but this has been quite some time ago as far as this chapter goes. But look at uh, the person that he deals with here. And we see his compassion in relationship to disease, a specific example. In verse 40, Mark 1, Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you're willing, you can make me clean. So he knows enough about Jesus that he has the power to heal people. And if Jesus is willing to do that, he can take away this uh, disease of leprosy. Now, most of you know that that was a debilitating uh, skin disease that uh, rendered a person, uh, a Jewish person, unclean. So that meant that he would be ostracized from society. He couldn't go into a village. He couldn't go to the temple to worship. He couldn't go to the synagogue to worship. He was uh, ostracized from society. And when you came near a person and you had leprosy, you had to cry out and warn them, unclean, unclean, so they wouldn't come near you and contract your disease. That would also mean you would have to depend upon people's mercy to take care of you uh, because you would not be able to work. You wouldn't be able to take care of yourself. So no wonder this man is coming to Jesus and and begging and pleading and crying out to him to take away this horrible disease. Now, how does Christ respond? Well, Jesus moved with compassion. Deep down, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing to be cleansed. So Jesus responds by actually touching the person Uh, which you weren't supposed to do because you might contract the disease. Of course, we know that Jesus wouldn't. But he's willing to heal this man. And uh, in these situations where you find an individual act of healing, we always have to be thinking of the deeper uh, uh, spiritual need being symbolized there by a physical problem. Our sinfulness makes us all unclean and ostracizes us from a spiritual relationship with God. So in that sense, uh, we're like that leper. We're unclean before God. We need cleansing. We need purification, which, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, provided at the cross. So his compassion always goes beyond just the physical healing. And his compassion is not just feeling sorry for the person, taking pity on them, but doing something about it. All right, let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 20. And here we see his compassion in relationship to a disability. 
And here we uh, look at verse 29. <clears throat> now he's nearing the end of his ministry. He's heading toward Jerusalem, and he's uh, uh, in the town of Jericho. And a great multitude, as usual, is following him. Wherever he goes, it seems like this is the case. And behold, in verse 30, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. All right, so here we have that word mercy, which means to have pity on someone. And because of their disability, these men have been reduced to begging for a living. That's why they're sitting along the road and people would be passing by there, coming in and out of the town. They hear Jesus coming. They recognize that Jesus is of the kingly line of David, perhaps the Messiah. Obviously, they've heard that he heals people, so they're crying out for mercy for him to do that. Now, uh, if they've heard of his healing powers, do you think for one minute when they cry out mercy, they just wanted God, uh, the Lord Jesus to feel sorry for them, to maybe uh, pray for them, to maybe give them a little bit of uh, help uh, financially? No, they wanted to be healed. They wanted to see again. That's what the idea of mercy would really be here. So it goes beyond your sympathy. It goes beyond your empathy. It means to do something to alleviate that pitiable condition. So how does Jesus respond to their plea of mercy? Well, verse 32, so Jesus stood still and called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they say, this is exactly what we want you to do. Lord, that our eyes may be open. And if you were in that condition, I'm sure that would be your heart's desire as well. You want to see again. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Okay, so again, Jesus meets the need. He does it out of that motivation of compassion. And just like those men were blind, so we are spiritually blind as well. And Jesus needs to open up our eyes to the truth of who he is and what he does to save us. So here's another uh, act of mercy in a situation where a person's disabled. The third thing I want you to look at is back in Mark's Gospel, chapter 9. And this is uh, even greater than what he's done so far. <clears throat> and this is his compassion in relation to demon possession. Jesus not only had power to heal people of disease and disability, he had power of the realm of Satan. We've seen this numerous times in the Gospels. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, you'll probably remember this story about a man who had a son who was possessed by a demon. And the story goes like this. Uh, in verse 14, Jesus uh, uh, came to the disciples, and as he's coming, he saw a great multitude of people. 
and uh, there's a dispute going on. And uh, he asks, what's going on here at verse 16? Then one of the crowd answers that, teacher, I brought you my son who is a mute, who has a mute spirit. Okay, so this is something going on inside of him that's spiritual in nature. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, he gnashes his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples. They could not cast it out. Uh, 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 and that's, that's the story here. So this demon, this evil spirit, is manifesting itself by causing this person to be mute and to uh, manifest uh, epileptic-type seizures. All right? So Jesus is kind of upset about this, and he says, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. So disciples can't do anything about this, and Jesus knows that he can. Okay? And when the, the, the person, is, his son, comes in verse 20, and he sees Jesus, he immediately puts this person in a, a, an epileptic fit. He falls on the ground, he wallows, and he foams at the mouth. Jesus is asking the father then, how long has this been going on? And he says, from a childhood. Now, we don't know how old this person was, <clears throat> But imagine from being a child, you're going through these kind of things, and the purpose is really to hurt and harm you, and that's what is said here in verse 22. He's often thrown him in the fire and into the water to destroy him. So this is a really serious situation, and if you had this happening to your child, how would you feel? What would you want to happen? And then he says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. So there again, eliciting the compassion of Jesus. Now Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Now I believe there, uh, Jesus is saying, really kind of questioning, because the man says, if you can, and Jesus repeats it, if you can, and then, you know, you hold that for a second, and then he says, believe. All things are possible to him who believes. So I think he's calling upon him to believe that faith. He's trying to elicit that man's faith. And that man cries out then in verse 24, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the people come running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. And the rest of the story goes that the spirit comes out and the boy uh, is still there and he's, it looks like he's dead, but Jesus takes his hand and uh, uh, causes him to stand up again. <clears throat> so here again we have this story of Jesus eliciting faith in this particular person and then again through compassion he casts out that demon and brings this uh, a young man back to perfect health. Now, we don't really run into this a whole lot in our society today, at least not in this kind of a visible way. But you know that people are influenced in their minds and their lifestyles by doctrines of demons. 
What's behind all the junk that's going on in the world today? You don't think the devil's behind that. And, of course, you go into drug culture and other kinds of things in uh, drug activity. You don't think that, that demons are involved in that, that they're behind this kind of thing? Um, everything that's going on in the world today, this anti-God activity, uh, the devil's behind that, either actively or passively, he's for it. But do we have compassion on people who are caught up in these lifestyle types of sins that we uh, uh, don't care about? Do we just write them off as hopeless because they're, they're in, involved in some kind of lifestyle sin that's really so, so horrible, we don't even want to get around them? Are they undeserving of our compassion? Are we afraid to get close enough to them to witness to them and help them in that situation, whatever it might be? Now, there's one other area, and this is the greatest of all, where Jesus helps somebody out. And here we see Christ's compassion in relationship to death itself. So let's turn over to Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. Luke 7 and verse 11. So let's take a look at the circumstances here. Now it happened uh, the day after they go out of another person's house that, that he heals. He went into a city called Nain, a little town. And many of his disciples went with him. And of course, a large crowd following him around. And when he came near the gate of the city... Behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. So these two crowds come together. And uh, this particular crowd coming out of the city are not coming to greet Jesus. They're coming out in a funeral procession. So here we have a situation uh, where uh, Jesus is faced with death. The only son of a widow woman has died, and now they're going out of town to bury him someplace. So here again is a, a heart-wrenching experience. This unnamed woman is a widow. So at some point in time, her husband has died. That would have been tragic if she had no children. But she had a son. So the care of this woman would pass now to her son. To take care of her. She's gone through the bereavement process of her husband, maybe not even completely through that, and now her only son is gone, and she, of course, is, is weeping. And Lord saw her. He had what? He had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Now again, this is a situation where she's going through probably the deepest emotional and mental stress you can. She's, she's been bereaved of her husband. Now she's bereaved of her only son. Now there's nobody else to take care of her. So it goes even beyond those feelings of uh, sorrow and mourning and bereavement when you lose a loved one that there's nobody now to take care of this woman. So she's weeping over this loss. Jesus sees her, and he has compassion on her. He knows what he's going to do, and he wants her to quit crying. Now, um, 
Later on, Jesus will have a similar response when uh, he approaches the tomb of Lazarus. He sees everyone weeping, and uh, sometimes when we see other people sorrowing and weeping and crying, the same reaction comes up in us. That's happened to me in some funeral services, that people are just uh, weeping and, and, it, and it moves you. But Jesus, in this case, is moved with compassion. He tells her not to weep, which is not the natural thing to do. And then he comes in verse 14, he touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. So of all the things that he does, this is the most powerful demonstration that he could give people as to who he is. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented himself to his mother. So he raises somebody from the dead, and we know he does that on two other occasions as well. So all of these incidents clearly demonstrate to us Christ's compassion upon people during his earthly ministry. But what about now? Now that he's ascended back into heaven, How does he demonstrate his compassion to us? Well, let's consider from the book of Hebrews his compassion as our faithful high priest. And let's look at uh, two um, passages here. One's found in chapter 2 and the other in chapter 4. First of all, Jesus was merciful and becoming a man and providing the atonement of our sins. And we find this in Hebrews verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> So, God the Son, the second person of the Godhead, became a man in order to die and destroy the devil's power of death over us. And in this passage, the author of Hebrews explains to us that the spiritual children that God the Father has given to God the Son were human. They were flesh and blood. Therefore, in order to save them, someone had to come who was a human being who never sinned, and he would be the substitute, he would be the one who would die in their place and take care of the the, the problem of sin. And in verse 15, release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So he releases us to that subject of bondage to sin, which ends up in death, spiritually as well as physically, And he did that by becoming a man. And in doing so, verse 16, he did not give aid or help to angels, but to the seed of Abraham. Now, the seed of Abraham is uh, the seed of the woman. uh, And you you go on uh, through the passage here. The seed of Abraham is not an Israelite. It's a person who trusts Christ as their Savior. That's how we're the seed of Abraham as well. So he's giving aid to those who will come to him by faith and be saved. Now, 
Therefore, <coughs> because of his coming, in all things he had to be made like his brethren, <coughs> that he might be a merciful, merciful and compassionate and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So here we have that word mercy again, the idea of compassion as he comes to make propitiation for our sin. What does that mean? Well, that means that he came and he satisfied God's wrath on sin for us. He propitiated uh, uh, God. He, he made God satisfied with the payment of sin that would deliver us from death, both eternal and eventually, uh, as we're raised up again, from physical death. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he's able to aid those who are tempted. <clears throat> so the first idea here is that he showed his compassion by becoming a man, a human being, going through life, living a perfect life, going to the cross, suffering and dying there in our place, and that all had to do with his compassion. And it's ongoing now because he's in heaven hearing those who will come to him in faith. All right, so he became a man, suffered as a man, ministered to men, lived a perfect holy life so he could become the propitiation for our sins. Again, mercy is showing compassion upon a sinful condition and then doing something about it. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ did. All right, so God's mercy, grace, and compassion were demonstrated in his life and death, and that mercy is available to everyone who calls upon him in faith. Now, turn over to chapter 4, and uh, we see here that the Lord Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses so that we may boldly approach the throne of grace. And we see this in verses 14 through 16 of chapter 4. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize, there's that sympatheo, sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So because Jesus was a human being, he experienced uh, the life that humans go through, not in any way sinful, but he knows what it means to be a human being, and so he can sympathize with everything that we might go through in life. He experienced grief and sorrow, uh, the pain of rejection even by his friends. He knew what it meant to be misunderstood, to be persecuted, to be reviled. There's nothing we can pass through that uh, uh, the Lord Jesus cannot understand and cannot sympathize with, even though he's now in heaven. And because of this, there's nothing then that we cannot bring to the throne of grace and ask him for mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's what verse 16 says. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy, that we might get his compassion and find grace to help in time of need. So again, uh, Jesus isn't here physically, but he's always there spiritually for us to go to at any time we have any kind of a need, just like when he was 
uh, in the world ministering to people uh, physically. So how do we respond then to all of this? Well, obviously with thanksgiving and praise. God's grace and mercy and compassion uh, demonstrated in Christ are all blessings we do not deserve. We deserve God's wrath. We deserve his punishment for the many sins that we've committed. But the Lord had compassion on us and chose from eternity past to make a way for us to know him, to have our sins forgiven, to enjoy fellowship with him in this life and the life to come. Secondly, because of Christ showing compassion towards us, we are now able to show compassion and mercy and sympathy toward others. Now, this is an area where we become holy like God is holy. Um, It's what we call a communicable attribute, like a communicable uh, communicable disease. Uh, You can spread a disease by touching somebody or breathing on them or coughing on them. But in this case, a communicable attribute is one that Jesus has that we now can have because we know him and his spirit is in us. So he awakens in us this sense of compassion that Jesus had. Indeed, if you go to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, we're commanded to show this. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. So we're to uh, uh, demonstrate this attribute that Jesus demonstrated, and we can do it because we know him. So are we sympathetic when we hear of a brother or sister in need? Do we think of ways we can help them, we can alleviate them? Of course, we can pray, but maybe there's something else we can do if we would just think about it. Now, we also find here that Jesus viewed people who were distressed and weary and helpless. They were wandering aimlessly through life in their sins. They need to be saved. Do we show them compassion as well? Jesus was unafraid to help that ostracized leper. In other stories, he helped an adulterous woman a Samaritan woman who failed uh, in five marriages. Uh, He helped the demon-possessed, sinners of all stripes and conditions that would have been looked down upon that society, and you stay away from them, you don't touch them, you don't go near them. How in the world can you reach them then? And I'm afraid that many Christians today have that attitude toward a lot of people out there in the world. Now, this past week... I heard the testimony, the conversion of a man who adopted a homosexual lifestyle. He left his parents, they became saved, and they began to pray for him. He, uh, and, you know, that was his world. That's what he chose. And he went through that lifestyle. And in order to uh, support his drug habit, which he got into as well, he became a drug dealer. But the law came, uh, caught up to him sooner, sooner or later, and he went to prison. He had a six-year uh, 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 prison sentence, but while he was there, he began to read a Bible. And 
Through that, the Lord saved him. He repented of his sins. The sentence got reduced because of the change in his life. He gets out of, he actually begins a, a ministry in prison to help people of uh, this background. And so the compassion of Christ reaches anybody, no matter how low down and evil we might think they are or their lifestyle is. And yet, we kind of uh, distance ourselves. We shouldn't be doing that. Christ would not do that. He would be trying to reach people no matter what lifestyle you might find them in. So may the Lord continue to give us strength that we need to be merciful and compassionate, not only to one another as Christians, but to people out there in the world who need the Lord Jesus so much. Our Heavenly Father, we pray today that as we come before your table, that we will be thankful that the Lord Jesus was compassionate to us who are undeserving. He showed that by helping people with all kinds of problems, but Lord, mainly by coming to go to the cross of Calvary and save us from our sin. Help us, Lord, to adopt that same kind of unselfish attitude toward others, and help us, Lord, to be compassionate when we um, uh, are faced with some kind of a need uh, that another person may have, and help them as much as we can. And we're also thankful, Lord, that because of your compassion to us, we can demonstrate this kind of uh, attitude towards others. Bless us now as we come before your table, we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. <clears throat>